0: This is the Atlanta Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back, guys. Atlanta Legacy Podcast. We are joined by reoccurring guest, uh, Mr. Ryan Kirby, dear friend of ours. Ryan, thanks for coming back. Hey, buddy. Yeah.
1: It's good to talk again. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah.
0: All the way over there in North Carolina. Um, Mm -hmm. It it seems like you guys have had a, or you have had an incredible fall this year. Give me a rundown.
1: It's been good, man. Yeah. We, well, I I guess to start off with, we have been putting in preference points in Wyoming for about a decade now, me and some buddies, and four of us were putting in points. We decided that two of us would cash them in and we'd all go as a group. Uh, But long story short, I got my first first bull elk, uh, me and Turb and my buddy Ed and Dave, um, a six by five, and that was a really, really cool experience. Um, Then I went back to Illinois for an event. And, you know, we've got two farms up there, um, a 60 and a 40 and then my parents place. Uh, but actually was a, I went up there early October and we had some real good weather around then. We had a cold front and I've never killed a buck that early. I've always kind of gone all in on November. Um, but killed a really good old deer on West Point, one of the places that you did a consult for us on. So that was cool. And then I actually killed, um, one of the biggest deer I have on our property in North Carolina here. Uh, We bought a 35 acre piece and we're in the process of putting Christmas trees on it. Mm. And I act, and I had two deer, you know, like around here I kind of hunt with the kids, you know, that's kind of our place to jack around. And then my more serious hunting is done in the Midwest. But, uh, there were two deer that was like, I'd shoot those if I get a chance. Otherwise everything's about taking the kids out. Yeah. And, Uh, man, long story short, um, I had him on camera, you know, we can bait here, had him on camera, like 45 minutes after dark in the corn, um, and f- figured out where he was bedded and moved in and ended up shooting him, uh, actually 600 yards from my own bait pile, which is ironic. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, but no, it's good, man. So I've kind of hunted all different parts of the country so far shot an elk shot a midwest deer and shot a a north carolina deer and pretty good ones
0: yeah i'm happy they were all great deer man man. that stirs up another conversation but i want to ask you just real quick does it feel (laughs) weird to hunt states where baiting is allowed when you're so used to hunting a state where it's not
1: it is it is extremely weird and honestly man i you know, a lot of my clients in the past, we have been getting really geared, really ramped up in the fall. We, we've we lived here in Boone for 10 years, and I'm usually so busy during deer season. I, I just kind of punt the North Carolina hunting. I'm like, I'll get to that. I don't I do even want to go. Like, I don't want to back my work schedule up by trying to hunt a Tuesday to kill a, a 120 in the mountains. I'd rather just work my face off. And then go to Illinois and get my rut hunt yeah. out of the way. So honestly, dude, we've lived here 10 years and I, this is the first buck I've ever killed. Oh, wow. And honestly, there's multiple years I only hunt a handful of days here just because I just don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not that I don't like it. It's just I I, I, I hunt where we we develop habitat. We do food plots. We strategize your hunting funnels and this and that and the other and a a lot of that stuff doesn't exist in the mountains Mm -hmm. um there's not a there's not a lot of like rut funnel type stuff Mm -hmm. um and i just don't like sitting over a corn pile i just i just don't like nothing in me even wants to do it honestly but um I'm I'm doing it more for the kids. Yeah. Like to take the kids out, and make sure we see some deer, yeah. and, and stuff like that. And I'm not a big rifle hunter either. I like to bow hunt. Yeah. and you know, man, it's just, that's kind of the culture in a lot of places around here yeah. is you draw a bunch of corn corn out and rifle hunt them. So it's it's extremely weird. Yeah, uh, and I'm still not used to it after living here for a decade.
0: Yeah, I, I tell you, a buddy of mine uh, grew up in my hometown. So like, there's industry buddies like like you where we met through our careers through our, our work and have uh, have been around like different camps and, and have been to each other's farms. or, And then you have your like buddies you grew up with that you're like, man, I remember like I was hanging out with you when I was a teenager, you know. And mm-hmm. I have one of those that I've spent some time with even now uh, in my career. And several years ago, he joined me in a hunt in Kentucky on a farm where the stands were hung. It was just kind of like, go pick the stands. We were, we were on a a doe mission and uh, it was late season and him and I grew up same hometown. He's a little, he's a few years older than me, but the first hunt we're sitting there and (laughs) (laughs) feeder rolls out. And it was just like, we kind of look at each other and it's like, I feel so strange right now. Like it just feels and you know, and I'm trying to disrespect the guys who who grew up in that culture because they they can yeah. do it no problem. They don't know any different. But for us, it was like this feels really strange to sit on a bait pile and hunt. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I don't I don't know if I can say what I'm thinking. If it makes it too PG, but I, f- I feel like I'm visiting a brothel or something like yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I'm not over bait, I just. And, and honestly, that's kind of why I told you that story the way I did is like, I, we we put corn out more to keep the deer here yeah. <clears throat> than, than to try to shoot them over it. And I, I'm really kind of proud to kill that buck the way that I did, where the bait was on the property to keep the deer there. Yeah. But I was still strategizing, moving my stand, like backtracking to where I thought he was bedding. Yeah. Um, and then he's the only deer I saw and I shot him right at last line. That's amazing. But, you know, man, I'm, I'm, since I've bought properties and and started working with you guys, I am all in on the habitat Mm -hmm. management and nothing makes me happier. Like the win for me as a bow hunter is like when we cut in a bedding thicket and plane the stand and the access and a buck cruises downwind of it during the rut and everything happens the way that you planned it. That's the win for
0: me. No, to, to me, that's like the, that's the top of the, top of the mountain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You did it. I, I, you know, I love food plots, but like to do it in the timber off a food plot is so much more to me. You know, it's, it's to, in a perfect world. That's how I draw it up. Now I shot a deer this year over a mediocre food plot in the afternoon, 45 minutes before dark. And it was like, that was cool too. But man, there's something about that. Like, and he comes (laughs) down and you're just like, Oh man, this is, I couldn't have drawn this up any better. Yep. Yeah. So and
1: even when I was elk hunting, man, I really loved the, the new experience and the adventure. But what I've kind of learned through that process is like, I'm more of a, maybe it's like the farming blood in me, but I'm more of a habitat manager. Yeah. Like I'm really, I'm not really even a big like public land hunter, like where I just go and experience something and come home. I like, I want to manage my stuff. Yeah. You know, agree. I don't know. That 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 is where I'm really 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 passionate.
0: Um so yeah. I don't know. And and you know, the public ground hunting stuff, I've done that and, and it's fun. But even hunting other farms where there's not really been any habitat manipulation, it feels a little bit like a shot in the dark where you're just like yeah. I enjoy the strategy of putting in the bedding cuts, edge feathering, doing that stuff and then hunting it and knowing like, man, I'm I'm right there like I love that side of it. But You know, you go to some places and you're like, man, I I know uh, there was a place I hunted in Kansas several years ago where it's like, there was no cuts. It was just like, we didn't bait, all the neighbors baited. And it was just like, (laughs) what are we doing now kind of deal? (laughs) Where You're like, what? Why don't we get the chainsaws out? I mean, I feel like now looking back, I'm like, we should have just baited like everyone else because now knowing the power of bait on, and and different things on some test sites, I'm like, You pretty much yeah. have to do it if the neighbors. You know, on. it
1: it's one of those things, and you know you've <laughs> seen it um, recently. The up when I was um, at the Turkey Federation, the upstate of South Carolina legalized baiting. Uh, Georgia, I believe, legalized it. You, you see some states go to that, and you you know what's going to happen. Yeah, like once once the dam is broken, the the floodgates are out. You can't put that water back in. You have to do it to keep to hold deer. Even if you're, even if you don't want to hunt over it, you you almost have to do it to hold deer. No
0: doubt. I um, I feel like like here is what is. Uh, around me in southern Missouri, there's a lot of people who still do it, even though it's illegal. And it's like if it were to become legal, you like you said, the dam's broken. The honest guys out there would be like, "All right, now you won't outbait me. I promise you." Uh-huh. And, and so <laughs> it's just like. <laughs> you know no hold no holds bar now but um it it, you would it is shocking to me like what
1: some guys spend on bait too because i i even bought a a a ton of it yesterday for 875 a bag but it's like 1350 a bag at tractor supply yeah it's crazy and and they sell they sell it as much as they can oh you know It's just, it 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 amazes me. Um, but it it is what it is now. Yeah. Once once it becomes like ubiquitous on the landscape and in the culture, it's not going away. Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. My my mom, who uh, she was she was working at school one year, and a a lady said was complaining about how much her husband was spending on corn, and mom. Course, growing up two boys she's she's aware of most of the regulations and she's like um is he, he's not baiting right now is he and she's like well yeah and she's like that's illegal and she's like no, i don't think so he's been doing it forever and she's like no that's illegal <laughs> and So yeah even even though it's illegal he was still spending it no
1: well and you know you know this better than anybody but I, as a as a habitat guy you know, in, in the mountains of of Western Carolina, where we're at, <clears throat> there there is very little food. There's no ag. There's no nothing, yeah. and you have to worry about the deer too because they're getting the corn laid to them mm-hmm. until the first of the year, and then it is pulled. Yeah, and it, nobody's doing it. We even I even uh, continue to you would call it feeding, I guess, after the season, yeah. but that's where your habitat comes in because no, totally. even in these states, it's a very short term, um, easy fix solution, but you know, you got to get deer through the winter, man. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't have a whole lot to eat here. And so, you know, that's where a lot of the habitat work comes into play, like the woody brows and, yeah, and, and having places like that. So, you know, the corn is not the best for the herd and for, for the health of the herd either. Yeah. And start thinking about it that way. No doubt, because dude, no redneck's going to keep baiting after the first of the year. If he
0: can't <laughs> hunt. Maybe he's still hunting. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it depends on if he's tagged maybe. one or not. I guess. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. I wasn't even season? planning on talking to you about that, but it was interesting because you're like, <laughs> talk about North Carolina, and I'm like, well, and you talk about the baiting. It's like, oh, that's an interesting conversation because, yeah, Illinois culture and North Carolina is not the same. And totally uh, different. And and we talked
1: about it too on our podcast recently, um, with a guy from Kansas, but even the way you refer to deer is differently. Like people talk about, yeah, I got an eight pointer, yeah, I I, I got a ten pointer, I, I got a six pointer, and in the Midwest they immediately referred the score. You know, yeah, yeah I shot about a one fifty, I shot about a one sixty.
0: You know, I'm in a weird part of the world because technically I'm in the Midwest, being in Missouri. Mm-hmm. But You know, a lot of the Ozark people that have been here forever, we came from the Appalachian Mountains, Appalachian Mountains. I feel like
1: you're setting me up for a Missouri joke here. It's just on a tee for
0: me. I mean, the southern Missouri, we have that culture. We're mountain hillbilly people. And so, like, my ancestors came from Virginia before they came here. And a lot of people came from West Virginia um, before they came here. And so that's where kind of the Southern Missouri culture, if you will, came from. And so mountain people, we don't, we still don't refer to deer as score. It's more eight pointer, 12 pointer, that type stuff. And so even though that we're Midwest, I still feel like we have a, we're kind of in a, kind of in a weird boat because we can't really claim to be like the true Midwest giant buck hunting part of the world. But at the same time, we're in the Midwest, so. The people in North Carolina and Virginia don't claim us. People down south don't <laughs> claim us. And northern Missouri don't claim us. So we're kind of <laughs> stuck.
1: <laughs> you are an Ozark hillbilly. I've man. said
0: it before. is like even, even people up north will hear me. and They're like, oh, you're from the south. And I'm like, well, I'm from southern Missouri. And then people in the south will be like, you're a Yankee. And I'm like, well. <laughs> so... I'm, There's a lot of confusion there. Yeah.
1: I remember we we had kids that would fly Confederate flags in high school. Yeah. In Illinois. And it's like, dude, we are way north. Of <laughs>
0: yeah, way north. Yeah, way north.
1: <laughs> yeah, way up there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well. L- this uh, this episode ought to be like uh, sponsored by
0: Monsanto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, it's uh, – I just it's been hot on my mind that whole that whole uh, you know, Alabama legalized it, I don't know, a handful of years ago and yeah. I felt like up until that point a lot of states were gonna start kind of pulling back on it and then doesn't appear that way. I mean I, I'd be shocked if you know, they put a they put a corn vending machine. I don't know, from where I'm sitting it's quarter mile. It's a <laughs> it's a um it's a big grain bin and it's got this spot it's kind of like those ice vending machines but it's corn it's whole corn and yeah. and they and they've been marketing like to cattle farmers and i'm just sitting there like no cattle farmer feeds whole corn and it's illegal in missouri and like they made a post saying like you know uh deer season's coming up get your whole corn i'm like this is illegal <laughs> i mean it's just like before they legalize yeah. marijuana it'd be like come get your come and get your marijuana like no big deal um yeah and we it just blows my mind and they took that post down and now they're like really i've noticed that they're pretty careful on how they market it but i just like a corn vending machine how brilliant i mean really because now you don't have to walk you don't have to fill the shopping cart with it in walmart and walk out you can just sneak in under the cover of darkness and fill up your tote and get back to the farm
1: (laughs) we uh we bought a, a camper. Um, we've got a bunch of people that have, we all have campers at the lake. And when we bought our camper, we bought it from some some friends in town that used to camp at the, at the coast. And so they had a golf cart that came. With, okay. Like kind of real nice, tricked out golf cart. We don't need that. So we ended up selling it. And Kim sold it on Facebook Marketplace to some people. I think they were from Virginia. Virginia or Tennessee. They drove over. And um, this dude was he was rolling in cash, Yeah, you know, I'm going to have to pay this for cash, the whole thing and all this kind of stuff. And what I was like, you know, they were really young, like late twenties, you know, Mm -hmm. had their first baby on the way. I was like, what do you guys do for a living? He's like, they, they long story short, they had a cannabis dispenser. Yep. And they were selling, what, what happened was they were on the border of they were on the verge of legalizing it. And then the political party shifted, changed. And they put the the kibosh on that whole they they nixed all the legalized cannabis. Well they had already started their store, they had already invested, they're already going. So they switched, and now their business model is they sell you a t-shirt with free cannabis, a free cannabis gift. So they sell like t-shirts for like $150 <laughs> and you get free, free cannabis or THC or whatever with it. And that's how they got around the law. Holy cow. So- I can just see your guys, uh, maybe they'll sell uh, an $8 sack and fill it with full of corn. Yeah. That's a, that's a yeah. I couldn't believe it. I'd, it's a sack vending machine, and then you fill it with corn
0: on your way out. That's right. It's a free gift. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I drove by and I'm like, corn 24, it's like corn 24-7 or something like that. I mean, it's a brilliant, I mean, my gosh. You can't
1: beat them joiner man. Yeah. They're capitalists. Yeah.
0: So, whatever. I mean, props to them but i was just blown away i'm like holy cow like that's that's how the chances of it getting completely uh, removed in missouri are slim to none so anyway all right well, fight for it. they get used to doing it man they'll fight for it oh totally totally it's like once you once you're doing it it's going to be very hard to not do it it's like I, i've said this a lot but when you do the habitat stuff that's all great but then you have a neighbor baiting, it's like, holy cow, like that has some pretty strong emphasis, pretty strong pulling power, even though you're doing the all the correct things. And so it's just like it'd be hard to convert those people into doing all the work, the hard work um, of habitat work. Because oh, yeah. that is night and day difference in the in the workload and time commitment. Oh, Speaking yeah. of which, the reason why you're here to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to get you and and talk about baiting as well. No. Um yeah. we're talking about all the habitat work and this is something that um we've been working on for a while. Man, we the first drafts and first ideas were several months ago. This is something that we've kind of drug out and then it seems like all of a sudden, um, we'd kind of mentioned it early on and yeah, there was some interest and then it hit us where it's like man everybody wants this that we work with so let's just go ahead and do it so um mm-hmm. without further ado i guess uh this is something we're unveiling here um soon that uh is the land and legacy annual calendar um i'll hold it up here for people this this camera is a little little hard to get back and I'm not stepping back out of the chair because the chair squeaks like crazy, but... Um, you're not
1: wearing any pants, are and you? And I'm not
0: wearing any pants. No, I've got the <laughs> suit top and and boxers underneath. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. But anyway, so this calendar that we've been working on, we basically pitched it to you as an idea and saying, how can we clean this up and make this? And, and then it kind of got in the headache of, oh man, the, each place is different. So we need to kind of, categorize different zones. And so we have three different zones. We have the North, the central and the South. And, and ultimately with this calendar, what we've done is create, uh, and give a landowner the ability to simplify what you can do or be thinking about what to do on your farm during each month. So, Mm -hmm. I know we get that a lot whenever we look at, uh, when we're talking to landowners saying, and I know, Kirby, out on your farm, you, you roll in a couple of times a year to do work, and it's like, okay, I'm here in March. What can I do in March? This, ca- this calendar is basically look at the column of March and look at everything that's colored in that period and say, okay, this is what I can do. Um, versus the, I've got this long list that Land and Legacy gave me when they came and did a consult and I don't even know where to start and where to end and when to pack up this project and start this other project. We're just trying to simplify this. Mm-hmm. So oddly enough, we were uh, we started working on this, I, I want to say the beginning of the year, or at least in the spring of the year. And it was kind of like, yep. we started with one, and it was like, no, we got to split it up. We got to have zones. And uh, I'd shared it because I picked the brain of of a couple people. For example, I had really um, talked to a couple guys down south that are in the trenches with it, saying, okay, break me down your month-to-month workload. These are two guys that are on a farm almost every day. And it's like, what are some things that I'm missing? And um, they basically were like, do you hear that? For whatever reason, yeah. it seems like I'm having some uh probably had the same thing matt's deal- Matt had to deal with a couple months ago um plug on your on your computers junking out on you, but looks like it's good now, so anyway um army worms in the south we deal with it a little bit in the midwest, but it's like every five years somebody's talking about it. Down south, it's every year occurrence almost. And so we added that to the south, and it's not on the other calendars because a guy in the north really doesn't care. But there's things that occur in the north that aren't really that important in the south. And so we kind of broke that down, and then it got a little bit delayed. We got busy with consulting. It's like, ah, it's not that important, whatever. And then uh, um, we started cranking on it again, and then all of a sudden, Hunter Johnson hit me up, who does sawdust and fire, and he goes, how close are you to that calendar? And I said, I mean, pretty close. <laughs> Why? And he goes, because Will and Marcus on the Wild Turkey Science says somebody needs to make that. And I th- I thought you guys were making it. I'm like, oh, we're making it. But, you know, I'm not just unveiling a PDF that I hand that I put on Microsoft Excel. Yeah. yeah. And so that's where you came in.
1: Yeah, man. Well, I you guys pitched me on the idea and I'm I'm you know, also one of your, your clients. And so you're right. I am at my farm a couple times or I'm here. I've got work, employees, kids, family life. And it's like, dude, I get a Saturday where I can, I can go. Um, And so it is, it's kind of an idiot proof way to figure out, okay, here's what I, here's what I can do while I'm here now. It's also a way that if you're more of a planner, you can plan out your year based on, But um, yeah, so my background was uh, graphic design and I worked for seven years at the Turkey Federation and then helped a lot of clients in the outdoor industry when I launched out on my own doing marketing and branding and, and graphics advertising. So I've always felt like my job as an artist, whether that's with an oil, with a paintbrush or on my Mac is to communicate and, and successful designers that, you know, do good in client work and help their clients that you have to communicate an idea. And so that was really what my role was in this is you guys had an idea of how to lay it out, like the information that needed to be there. And it was my job to help you guys visually lay that out. <clears throat> and then, and I don't remember what our our first drafts were kind of, they were all right. But one of the things, once I got a better understanding of what you guys were looking for and you got a better understanding of what was capable of design wise. We, I think we, I think we nailed it. No, no. I think, um, you know, the, 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 pro, it's, it's broken down. I'll see if I can hold mine out. There you go. I'm going to Vanna white this, you know, I've got our office manager, um, and video guy were in here the other day and we were doing, uh, something. I said, I'm going to Vanna white this. And they're like, who's Vanna white? Oh no. Oh, come on. But no, the, um, the, for those of you on YouTube, this is broken down by project. So each month shows the projects that you can do for that month and they're color coordinated and broken down. So, you know, the, the, the different project types are planning, spraying, burning, cutting, maintenance, and hunting. And, uh, I, I feel like visually that's a really cool way to show that. And, um, It's got a lot of great information. And then we spice it up with some art too. Yeah. Um, Some sketches and some things like that. So, man, I think it's a really cool tool. Um, But also, you know, as an artist, I've always felt like form follows function. So you have to design what the, the function of something is before you can make it look good, aesthetically pleasing. And this is one of those prime examples of something that It looks good, but it's also really, really functional.
0: No doubt. Yeah. And, you know, it just came to me, but it was unfortunate that we missed this. But since it was a collaboration piece, we should have, you know, Matt and I brought a lot of the information and you brought a lot of the art. We should have had you bring some of the information and Matt and I bring some of the art. So we should have had Matt and I draw a quail and put it on there, too, and let people try to decide whose was whose.
1: (laughs) And then I would put the corn pile on that's right. Now, Adam and Matt, well, you have to bake from September to June. That's right. That was a lot of the uh, revision process was, you know, very few, like you were talking about the, the army worms, but for the most part, you know, 90% of the projects stayed the same. Mm-hmm you know, you guys have pretty much ironed it out now where the same projects are going to be the most beneficial 80 grit stuff that you talk about. That's going to happen from the north to the south. The only thing that really changes is the dates. Yeah. You know, like like I noticed here, I've, I've got the, the southern calendar here and um, uh, you've got TSI work done and uh, girdling spray and a lot of the, the cutting and, and stuff like that. Most of that I would do in March in the Midwest, yeah. but, you know, it needs to end around February in the South no doubt, just because spring greens up, you know, turkey seasons and all that. So uh, that, that really a lot of the revision sort of the nuances between the three zones and the three different posters is the dates that stuff needs to start based on that
0: region. No doubt. I think, you know, for, for us, with all the traveling we do, I mean, Winter goes in some of our consults. It's been winter in April in some of the northern consults, while spring is February down south. That's what I love about the NWTF National Convention is we typically have done consults. We go to Nashville, and then we may zip down south and go do a consult, and it's like red buds are already blooming. I mean, they're not going to bloom in Missouri for another two months. Yeah. and then add minnesota to that and it's another 2 months. It's just like there's some yeah. drastic differences between management in the south, management in the north. And so we tried to really reflect that on this calendar of timing. Um, there are obvious things that um like down south, I think I chuckle, trapping uh hogs. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's a 12 month deal. Uh, prescribed fire, yeah. I think, is a 12 month deal. And it's not saying that every every month you should be burning. It's anytime it's dry, you should be burning. Um, yeah. It's like we've been super dry out here in the Midwest. And my brother and I fought fire um, this week on one of the mm-hmm. neighboring properties. And it's still burning today. It's been burning for three days. And it's just yeah. like, hey, it's dry enough. You sh- You could burn if you had lines in. Yeah. And so yeah. that's just one of the things we're we're really trying to simplify a land manager's role or job in going, OK, in, enough with the dilly dallying, let's really button up and be very effective in what we do. And so we have really no excuse when it comes to having the information of what to do. The only excuse is you didn't have time to do it and, or the equipment. Um, but really, trying to simplify this whole deal because i 've been very vocal about it the first thirty years of my life uh first twenty five I guess I should say were very, uh i did not they were very ineffective at putting habitat on the ground because I was following a lot of plant the food plots, put this feeder out, do that uh very little was focused on true habitat management, and that's what we've been really trying to strive with Lana Legacy is to get that information out there and This is a piece that i'm very I'm very proud of it looks incredible, thanks to you, yeah. Ryan, because you're the one who cleaned it up when we handed it to you it was a an Excel spreadsheet basically and so I
1: have a few clients that would hand hand me a scratch piece of paper, so the fact that you had a spreadsheet going was yeah. Already a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. And I
0: mean we had a props to I forget the man's name, but we had a, a listener send in an Excel spreadsheet. Now we had already kind of started this process, but um at least I'm trying to remember. I think I actually I think the first sketches were hand drawn on my end. You can appreciate that because I'm guessing a lot of your yeah. stuff starts out hand drawn. Um <laughs> uh, mine was very crooked lines, but trying to sketch out and X out the bunts, but um yeah, yeah, that's this was it came together really nicely. Yep. As I told now, you, I hope that somewhere in a shot there's bar oil splattered up on it. Yep. That's when we know it's a, yep. a mission accomplished.
1: That's the thing, man, is that you know how it is. So much of this stuff that there is a lot of information out there, and if you get analysis paralysis, it, it's easy to do that because you read all of these things and all the stuff. And it's just like, I don't even know where to start, but man, so much of it is just going, just starting. And as people get experienced and as, as they get used to it, um, it gets easier. It, they'll do more of it. And and this is a really good tool to start. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it'd be kind of like an idiot proof workout where it's like, do this on Monday do this on Tuesday, do this on Wednesday. Yeah, And most of it is just showing up to the gym and starting and you'll get it after that. But, and that that's what I feel like, you know, you guys have done a really good job as far as the podcast and, and all the things that you do uh, to make people aware, but there's still more that we can do. I feel like to give people that first step, like just go, just start. Like, I don't know if it's empowering or instruction, giving them instruction or whatever it is, but there's still there's still a lot we can do to help get people going because you know we, we've talked about it before. I don't know if we've talked about it on a podcast or something, but a, a lot of people put the the responsibility on the state agencies to do the management or the public. Oh lanes. yeah, dude, those people are so maxed out. There's no way, and I've always felt like if we're gonna do big things, and again, I'm not talking about out west, but more the the western, eastern half of the US, if we're gonna do big things and, and really help wildlife, a lot of it has to fall on the backs of private landowners because that's mainly where the land is divvied up. And those are the people that are, are passionate enough and, and need to get out there and be willing to do it. So I think tools like this are really, I think they make a long-term big picture difference on the landscape. More than just thinking how oh, the DNR will handle that, or the
0: you know yeah, no doubt. Water I, I,
1: or I couldn't agree
0: saying. more. You know, we see that a lot in Missouri, um, just because it's my home state. But I see MDC taking a lot of blame for the decline of the wild turkey, and yep. people be like, "Well, you're not doing anything for the turkey," and I'm, and I just like, I I kind of, in one sense, I chuckle a little bit because these are the same people that are very much and. Truth be told, it probably won't come to any surprise, but I kind of keep the government at a distance, and here they are (laughs) wanting the government to help them with their turkeys, and I'm like, you don't like, you're speaking out two sides of your mouth here. And Missouri is, I don't know, it's over 90% privately owned, so it's sort of like if we're going to do something for the turkeys, it has to happen on the private on the private side, and that's where I wish you know hunters. It seems like. 2023 we're kind of divided because it's like the public land hunting crowd kind of snarls their nose at private guys because we hunt out of blinds over food plots and they're like oh yeah must be not and it's like we're gonna have to work together like if if all of us stop doing it it would have major impacts on private land hunting because a lot of times the population and, uh, of turkeys and deer are made on the private land that spills over on the public. Yeah. Um, Cause they're getting slaughtered on the public. Yeah. <laughs> so um, like we have to work together. And so yeah. hopefully this calendar is one of the stepping stones into continuing to help people. Um, I love what you said, making it the gym analysis uh, analogy because I've never been to a gym. So it sounds great. Um, um, and so he's like, okay, well, I'm rolling oh. out to the farm in February. What am I going to do? Looking at the calendar. Here's the tools I have. Let's go do it.
1: We, we missed the boat on a marketing standpoint. Now that I think about it, we should have done this as an outdoor fitness deal where it's like on Monday you lift chainsaws and, you know, drip torches. Yep. Tuesday is a cardio workout with a frost cedar and stuff like that. Oh. Maybe we could co-brand something.
0: Yeah, let's co-brand something. Yeah, where it's like Monday is is uh, arm workout, so you're cutting down 20 acres of cedar trees. <laughs> Tuesday is cardio, and we want you to burn 200 acres. We can almost guarantee yep. you you're going to get 15 miles in that day burning it. And then Wednesday <laughs> is a leg workout, and you're unloading seed bags from your truck there you to go. your – Seed bags, not
1: corn bags. Seed
0: bags, (laughs) yeah.
1: We've discussed this already.
0: If it is corn bags, you're moving it from your barn back to your truck to go sell it.
1: Feed your cows. Yeah,
0: feed your cows. (laughs) Yeah, Which is the oldest trick in the book. Feed your cows whole grain so they poop it out and the turkeys are in there scratching it. I mean, come on. That's
1: a good trick. I didn't know that. Dude,
0: I'm telling you, if I was a poacher, I'd be the best one of them all because I got all the tricks. (laughs)
1: I've never heard of that,
0: actually. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, I forget who told me. Ooh, I know, I know where the source came from, and I won't dare say the name. But um, feed the cows whole grain; they poop it out, and there's, you know, you're shooting, you're shooting turkeys with cow crap all over their, all over their feet. <laughs> um, works really, really well in cattle country. But yeah. Anyway, no, I mean, this is a calendar that golly, it's, it hopefully simplifies everything for everyone. And, you know, yeah. Paul Sawyer with uh, Whitetail Properties has been a big mm-hmm. push in this. Like he's one of those guys that is just like, we don't live on our farm. So when we get there, we want to be buttoned up knowing exactly what to do. So this yep. is a great, a great calendar yep. for them. And,
1: and one thing that's on here too, that I thought was good is, uh, is some maintenance. Oh, totally. Um, you know, and it, I don't think about it as much because my properties are smaller and we don't have a lot of stuff like that, but you know, you've got uh, trimming roads and trails, mowing, grading, gravel, winterizing your equipment, stuff like that, man, is um, a lot of times people just do it when it's necessary. Yeah. Like by the time the road is washed out, we'll go in and fix it. Mm-hmm. Or by the time something's broken down on my tractor, I'll go in and fix it. But, you know, literally having that on on top of mind, like, Hey, we need to put, you know, we need to put a culvert down there before we have a real problem. Yeah. And being able to plan that out, because, you know, guys like me, I've been able – I've b- become buddies with a guy that I hire up there in, in Illinois to come in and, you know, fix some crossings and do a little grading in the off season. But being able to plan that stuff out helps me a lot.
0: No doubt. Like – Putting in water holes, for example, like try to put them into in the fall because there's likely going to get more rain in the fall rather than putting them in in the spring so they sit there and bake and dry up all summer long because you're not getting adequate yeah. rain. It's just like I could sit down with every single listener if they emailed in, why'd you do it like that? Why'd you say this is for that time frame? I thought it was this and I can explain why it's that way. Yep. Cause a lot of thought went into it. In so, anyway, yeah, I hope you guys. Um, Take advantage of this calendar. We're going to be selling it at shoplandandlegacy.com, our normal place where you've been buying our hats for years. We appreciate you guys for the continued support. This is a a calendar that hopefully um, you've... I'm assuming that you all know who Ryan is by now. Ryan's an uh, an artist um, that's got just incredible, incredible stuff. Um, You just unveiled... I'll give you a chance. You just unveiled a new piece... Um, that I think everyone should take advantage of.
1: Yes, and I'm tired of talking about you. Let's talk about That's you. right. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, man. Uh, No, we, we unveiled a new um, antler print, and uh, it, it's called the Scoring and Field Judging the Whitetail Buck, but it's really a celebration of their antlers, how they grow, why they grow, a ton of facts and figures. And I rely on you, you two, to – you know, to give us a lot of initial feedback. And then Kip and Matt at the NDA, um, they they give us a lot of the new data, really fine-tuning art and information there. So, you know, I, I come up with the concept and create the art, and then I run it by people that I really trust to make sure that it's accurate. So that's been a, a cool one for, um, for our lineup of prints. Um, and actually, will, I don't, will this air next week?
0: Yeah, next week. Two- Week of Thanksgiving. So we
1: just, okay, we just launched a Black Friday sale on our website, so everything's twenty five percent off. That's a big one for us. That's about the only sale we do throughout the year, so check that out. But you know, man, w- w- my role as an artist, w- one of the things that I want to do is I want to I want to contribute and enrich the atmosphere of Punk Camp, um, and that can come in a variety of forms for me. Whether that's like an original oil painting or a canvas print, or a paper print, or something like this, like that we've done with you guys. And I feel like, um, you know, I, I don't want to over-spiritualize things too much, but g- God gave me a gift. Mm-hmm. My, my dad was a farmer, and my mom was a postmaster. Like, this doesn't run in my family. Yeah. And I feel like um, I'm fortunate enough to work in a place where my passions and my interest and my talent and ability sort of align and i want to make the most out of that and so being able to to, to help with a project like this and you know it, all the the concept and the the information and all that stuff is you guys and i would never try to take away from that but if i can use my ability to help communicate um and add some some sketches and some art and kind of uh just help brain it make it a little bit more cool um that's that's where i like to
0: live no doubt i i love every time we spend spend time together at your farm or talking over the phone because I feel like you just said it God gave you a gift and you're aware of that gift and you've had the ability to use that gift in your career and I feel the same way with the way we understand natural resources and using that to help landowners see God through his creation and helping people understand that and um So I I forget who it was that said this, but it's like, if you ever find your passion lines up with your career, you should have razor focus and never, never back off of that because you, you've identified the gift and you've had the ability to use it to make money. And, and that's how we feel. It's just like, nope, everything we do right here, right down this line.
1: We've even, as, as we've grown, you know, we've got, um, Couple of, two or three full-time employees now, and and as we've grown, I've had to do a better job of like taking things that are, just exist in my head and um, outlining that. And one thing that we talk about all the time is art and hunting, and the combination of art and hunting is like my wheelhouse. Yeah. Okay. And that's where we stay. And so, just like you were talking about there, when when you can really find what you're good at, what you're passionate about that's our laser focus. Yeah. So if you ask me to do this next month for butterflies, hmm, probably not going to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that'd be a hot seller, but I could be wrong. Unless it's a pollinator
1: blend. We might talk about
0: that. Yeah. I think, well, we got pollinators on that, but it's not the whole calendar.
1: <laughs> so, But now pr- props to you guys for wanting to, uh, wanting to bring a creative solution to the, I don't want to say stodgy, but you guys are young, you're creative, you you think proactively and you want to bring um, some creativity and some new stuff to the industry. So
0: yeah. that's
1: a really good thing. And I, I, I gave a talk one time at a Turkey Federation fundraiser where I talked about conservation as a creative endeavor. And, um, you know, everybody thinks that conservation is preservation and that Conservation, you kind of get the mind of like, I'm gonna guard and preserve what I have and just keep it locked tight, keep it safe. Yeah. But good conservation is actually a creative thing. Mm-hmm. Like we have to burn, we have to cut, we have to disturb, we have to do things. You're not you're not safeguarding and protecting and not doing anything and covering it with a blanket. You're doing the opposite. Yeah. So it, it's kind of a an odd thing that in order to do good conservation, you actually have to bring something to it and bring creativity and bring disturbance and disruption yeah. uh, to it's it. It's like so, raising
0: a child. You don't raise your child in a bubble and protect yeah. them from the world and everything. So then when you pitch them out there, they just fall over faint because it's more than they can bear. It's, yep. it's a, uh, you know, it's a greenhouse. I think I saw that on social media a while back. It's like raising them a greenhouse, trying to build their roots, trying to build them to where they can withstand the world on their own. So when you do put the child out there, they can fight it back.
1: Yeah. But in order to, to protect your children, you don't you don't just lock them in a closet. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. you know, learning, teaching them to deal with the world is how you protect. Yeah,
0: them. exactly. Yeah, so. man, it's great podcast. Well, Thanks for coming on. Um, turn into corn dealers. That's right. <laughs> Give me a shout out. Give everybody a, 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 where to find your latest piece. Where's the black Friday sale? All that
1: stuff. Uh, Ryan is our website. Uh, that's the only place to get our prints. Um, all my social channels are Ryan Kirby art. We've got some new content on YouTube and stuff too. Uh, I believe we have a TikTok now. No. Uh, so one of those,
0: no.
1: uh, but yeah, man, um, we're, it's it's kind of like uh, Coach Prime says we're not hard to find.
0: Not hard to find. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big Coach Prime fan. I don't know about you. Coach. Yeah, yeah.
1: We we have somehow covered uh, baiting, brothels, uh, habitat, and in with a Coach Prime. There you go. Ain't hard to find.
0: First for the Lane and Legacy. Yeah, we coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's another Coach Prime one. We coming. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Yep. Good luck, bud.